Hey guys and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So today is episode 130. So today's guest we have Ashling O'Kelly or at AOK Nutrition. This is a superb episode. So Ashling is a nutritional therapist and naturopath, uh, currently studying herbal medicine, specializing in female hormones and that's why I wanted to get Ashling on. Ashling works with her clients like a jigsaw puzzle with missing pieces and it's her job to find these pieces and put them back in the right place. And I think this is super, super important to actually listen to this episode and pause it and take down notes, particularly if you are a girl, but particularly if you are a coach who listens to this as well, who works with females and to listen to, to understand how your body and how the other half or the your wife or your girlfriend or or your daughter or whatever it may be and their and their bodies work so what we talk about is the various types of birth controls the pros and cons of some of them and the the impacts they have on the the, the body does the birth control actually cause any weight gain um the the tips on how to deal with pmt heavy and painful flows we talk about does the kids the pill cause any acne is it important to track your cycle on the, the apps that she recommends um do you think that doctors and the medical profession are too quick to actually th- put people on the pain ra- pill rather than trying to get to the root cause of the problem and that's a really really interesting topic and i know that's something that i'm passionate about as well we also talk about any advice of supplements and there's a few new ones that she mentions there that are, are can be quite helpful and I've, I've seen research on to prove them as well which is great and then we also talk about ashling and her clinic as well which is, and ashling is a fountain of knowledge so guys i hope you guys enjoy the episode as much as i had it did having a chat with ashling and i hope you guys enjoy it ashling thank you so much for coming on no problem thank you so much for having me today so Ashton, how did you end up getting into this field? Because I think like it, it is a, particularly with kind of female hormones and stuff like that, because I know from talking to kind of like some of, the, some of my clients and stuff like that, it has been a taboo subject for a long time. How did you get into it yourself? Um, well, when I trained as a nutritional therapist and a naturopath, you kind of just, I kind of just fell into it. Like I always say, when people ask me advice on like career advice, I'm always like, find an area you're really passionate about and then get really good at that area. So when I first started um, seeing clients, I was seeing everyone from sports nutrition to like, you know, older men, say cardiovascular issues and then women with hormone health issues. And I think I kind of just got the most rewarding um, feedback from people with hormones, especially like I would do a lot with fertility. So if you have clients who came to you who couldn't get pregnant, who got pregnant, it's obviously so rewarding. So it's just kind of an area since I just kind of got really into it. I've just been always constant, uh, constantly studying that. So I go to any seminars on it. I'm constantly listening to podcasts and reading about it. So, yeah, I kind of just fell into it naturally, I guess. And have you seen that kind of more people and more, more ladies are kind of more aware of their kind of the, the stuff that's going on with their body? Or do you think there's still kind of wiggle room for like a lot more education on the side of things? Oh, my God. Wiggle room, definitely. Like it's only... Well, I've only seen difference since I kind of started Instagram and I get messages every single day with women messaging me being like, oh God, I didn't realize, for example, the pill stops ovulation. So that's how it works. You don't make your own hormones on the pill or that the the bleed you get in the pill isn't a real period. Um, there is so much learning that people need to do. Like when I talk to clients about it, I'm like, our generation are like the guinea pig generation. Like our mums weren't on contraceptives for 20 years before they had us, do you know, that kind of way. So I think we're we're very much in kind of um, society that we just listen to the doctor. We don't question things because, well, the doctor knows best. And it's not always the case. And especially with female hormones that like ignoring the issue, like, for example, being put in the pill for hormonal issue 
chances are you're going to have to deal with it at a later stage. So I think it's really, really important people start act- asking questions and just kind of educate themselves on it. And where do you go for your kind of main points information? Because there is like, as you said, like the likes of social media, all that kind of stuff, podcasts, just information overload. Is there kind of two or three main sources that you kind of go towards? Um, for me personally, I follow a lot of practitioners from Australia and New Zealand, and I feel like they are miles ahead of, of us in Ireland. So like I follow them on Instagram, I listen to their podcasts, and it's amazing like looking at practitioners who are doing exactly what I'm doing, but have 30 years under their belt. And talking about like, you know, clients and blood testing. And so I've learned so much from them in the last, say, even year alone, which is which is mad that you can, you know, be learning things from Instagram. Um, and then with my qualification, so as a nutritional therapist, we have to do like CBT, like continual prep professional development points every year. And our like membrane body is amazing at putting on um seminars and look at like experts in to talk about different conditions and I'm always going to the ones on hormone health basically so that's where I kind of get most of my information from yeah it's mad with the the, I've been fortunate to interview some of the 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 girls over in like New Zealand and stuff like like Claire Goodwin the PCOS nutritionist and I remember having her on and I was like information overload I was like I've had to listen back to that episode like 20 times um and like she's she's incredible um it's really really like she's so forthright with the information yeah I think as well with females like I know for example Claire had PCOS so when when you've gone through something yourself as a practitioner then you're just miles above the rest it's not something you just learned in the book it's something that you've actually experienced firsthand and I think that's why as well I'm so interested in hormone health and I've you know such a big clientele at the moment because I can relate to clients so much and like I'm not your typical like you know nutritional therapist in terms of what you might think they might be like like I love my makeup I'm very I probably relatable I'm just like a normal girl that wants to just do everything she wants and I also want to have good hormones do you get me it's not like I'm I'm off kind of having like vegan diet and not having any alcohol and this kind of thing so I think the kind of taking the taboo away and it's not just something that's kind of for like real you know health freaks kind of thing um it's really important 100 i think claire yeah, claire uh, claire had it herself as an athlete as well so it's um yeah. it's incredible she's sharing sharing a story we've you've we've kind of brought up the whole idea of kind of birth control and contraception um there's so much we can go off this could be like 14 episodes by itself <laughs> can you yeah. uh, can you kind of explain kind of the main types and uh, like uh, kind of the, the pros and cons of kind of the main ones that people yeah. that people on the mainstream would kind of be on yeah so first of all I think if you look to my Instagram sometimes people think like I'm anti-birth control which I'm so not like I'm like power to women for taking control of their their contraceptive like health I think it's absolutely unbelievable that we even have these and um, these options and um, the biggest issue with uh, the pill so when we talk about the pill it's the combined pill so what's going to do is going to have two separate hormones in it a synthetic form of estrogen and a synthetic form of progesterone and these work by stopping ovulation and this is the big word that I'm always banging on about is ovulation because basically this is how your body makes its own hormones and people kind of normally think oh ovulation is just when I want to get pregnant and you know I don't have a baby so what's the issue but basically the hormones that's made when we ovulate help things like our mood our sex drive our energy levels even things like our appetite and it's so important that we're aware of that because a lot of women go on the pill and they feel so off and they feel like a different person and they don't realize it's because you literally have to switch off your hormones so that's definitely the first downside of being on the combined pill 
Then you have the ring. The ring is very similar to saying them two hormones, estrogen, progesterone. Um, and with both of these things, generally you have kind of like a week break. And during this break, um, you stop taking, so you'll basically take out the ring and that goes up into the cervix or you'll stop taking the pill and you'll get a bleed. And this is another huge misconception that women think because they're seeing blood, they think it's a period. When actual, in an actual fact, it is a withdrawal bleed. So I'm following my words there. It's a withdrawal bleed, which basically means that um, it just causes the uterine lining to shed after you stop taking um, the, the pill or stop taking the ring. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes a yeah. lot of sense. Yeah. And basically just to say, it's a synthetic form of estrogen in these contraceptives that thicken the uterine lining. So that's what causes you to even have blood there to begin with. Normally, it's our own body, it's estrogen that does that. So that's why you're still getting a bleed. And then you have things like the rod or the implant, and you have the mini pill and the marina coil. And these three things are just one hormone. They're called progesterone. Um, Now, this progesterone acts more like testosterone in the body. So just to be aware of that, because... A lot of people think it's, it acts like our own hormone, progesterone, which is a real calming hormone. It's really good for mood. It's really good for PMT. And then some people can't understand, like they think they're on this really high dosage of progesterone when actually it's it's a progesterone, it's different. And you can get side effects like things like low libido. You can get really oily skin. You can get hair loss even when you're on these. And the idea behind this is it thins the uterine lining and it, it impairs your cervical mucus. So if you did have sex and the sperm did get in there, it's not going to get very far because your cervical mucus is maybe is meant to be able to kind of pull it up towards the uterus. Um, so that's how it works, the contraceptive. Now, a lot of the time, it stops ovulation anyway. Um, just because your body's absolutely freaked, it's like, what is this object in me? <laughs> um, but generally, after about a year or so on these things, ovulation might come back, but you're just not going to get pregnant because of the things I just mentioned, no cervical mucus and no thickening of the uterine lining. Um, it's echo injection, sorry, also falls into that category as well. Now, that's probably the one I really, really don't like because it's such a high dose of this progesterone hormone. And the biggest thing I see with the progesterone where the depot is hair loss. And it's just terrifying. Like, you know, it's just for, for women to be having their hair falling out in the shower. It's just awful and not knowing why. And really, really low libido, really no sex drive is a big thing as well. So they're the main ones with the, the hormonal um, birth controls. And... To be honest, like they're they're all there's not really one that's actually better than other. Like I think maybe the marina coil might be a better option because your body will ovulate after about a year being on that. So you make your own hormones again. But it's kind of just crap. There are only really options at the moment, you know. Yeah, like there's like there's so many of them, and it's it's. I know when I first started doing this as a man, it's kind of like it was. I like speaking Chinese for me when I first started doing this and then had to upscale all this kind of stuff. But there's so many different options, so much kind of like information and so many different things kind of thrown at, at girls and stuff like that. And there's a lot of misinformation about kind of the pill. And one of the biggest, biggest things that has come up an awful lot is does the birth control actually cause weight gain? Because I think that was one of the biggest things that kind of has come into me, particularly when I first started is this the truth or what is the actual reality? Um, it definitely causes water retention. So water retention and weight gain always kind of get misdiagnosed or kind of, you know, mixed up with each other. So the synthetic form of estrogen in the pill can definitely, definitely cause it to retain water. Um, so that's one side of it. Now, I also think because I think anyway, the pill really affects mood. And as you probably know, working with clients, people are emotional eaters. So 
if you feel so flat and so down and you know just not yourself you're going to go for food you're going to go for the carbs to make you feel better so I think it kind of indirectly will make you gain weight from your your environment but definitely the water retention is a big one as well um the only way as you know yourself the only way to really gain weight weight is to increase your calories so it doesn't magically um put fat onto you but um the other thing that it can do this synthetic form of estrogen it's called xenoestrogen so it's like a it's like a toxin basically it's like the same kind of thing you're going to find in your plastics and in your cleaning products and that kind of thing and that makes it really really hard on the gut your gut really struggles to break down xenoestrogens and it'll affect your detoxification process which kind of can slow down like fat metabolism but again you have to be able to, you have to eat the calories in order to put on the weight yeah, I think when when from the research and stuff like that, the, what I've seen is anyway that it it may cause weight gain, as you said, but it is it is water weight, and that is especially if you are stepping on the scales and that's part of your journey and stuff like that. That can have a negative impact on your mindset and your mood towards yourself. And as you said, a lot of us are emotional leaders. Some people are a little bit more emotional leaders than others. We all we are all emotional leaders. Doesn't matter what people say. And I think a lot of the stuff can be like underlying psychological stuff and behaviors that we've had before that kind of gone on the pill as well. But one of the yeah. biggest things that I read was in relation to kind of for black women that they are the ones that tend to put on a little bit more weight around if they kind of introduce the pill into their routine kind of around, rather than um, Caucasian women as well, which I found fascinating, which I, I didn't oh. think there was going to be a difference for those. Um yeah. Like the other thing is when people like you've got the two sides of the journey of when you're going onto the pill and then you've got the other side of the journey of coming off birth control. When should kind of ovulation kick kind of kick back kick 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 back in and what kind of things should you be looking out for? Because there's an awful lot of there's an awful lot of doubt, there's an awful lot of things to kind of come back into play. So what what can you expect? Um the first thing I'll say with clients is you have to look at the reason you're on the pill. So if you literally are on the pill because you don't want to get pregnant and you had a regular regular cycles, nothing was an issue and you went on the pill, chances are ovulation will kick back in pretty quickly. Um, the second thing then you have to look at then though is if you were put on the pill because you had irregular cycles when you were 16 and now you're 30 and you think you've had regular periods your whole life because like I've had clients come to me and they'll say, oh, I had a regular period and the pill fixed it. And I'm like, no, you had irregular periods and then you, you switched off your own hormones and you've had a pill bleed for 10 years. So we have to look at the underlying reason of why you're on it. And it, it, it's kind of one of these things that if you're on it to regulate your hormones for PMT, for acne, for hormonal issues, you might struggle a little bit more than if some, than someone's just on it for um for contraceptive. The, the big thing coming out at the moment, and this is all these like Australian um, naturopaths that I'm following, and they're kind of sharing research showing that women who go on the pill in kind of their earlier late teens, their reproductive system isn't as developed if, as if you wait. So basically your reproductive system doesn't develop fully until you're about 18. So for those women as well, that, that can actually take a longer time as well for ovulation to kick back in, just because their their brain and their, their HPA axis, the thing that kind of controls your hormones, is just going to take a little bit more time because like that it wasn't fully developed so that's the first thing the second thing then is um what kind of hormone contraceptive are you on so the pill can kind of come back or the combined pill tends ovulation to come tends to come back a little bit quicker than something like the depot injection so the depot it's common for you not to get a period until about like maybe five to eight months after coming off that um, whereas the pill, you might get a period the first month or you might get a period after, say, like three months. So it just kind of depends on what contraceptive that you're on. 
Yeah, like this, like there's a, you mentioned there about kind of like the being put on the the contraception or the pill, kind of very early on, and kind of do you think too many people are reaching for it too quickly, or do you think too, the medical professionals are are reaching for it too quickly to kind of potentially mask an underlying issue that's kind of going on rather than actually getting to the deep the root cause of what could be going on hormonally and mentally as well, because there is an awful lot of change going on someone, particularly around puberty, but girls in particular, there's just so much going on for your lives from the age of, it could be as early, I've had clients having their periods as early as nine, if you know what I mean. And then, then you've got like post-menopause, there's an awful lot going on for such a long time in your life. Do you think the yeah. medical professionals are kind of reaching out too quickly to kind of mask the issue rather than looking to get to the root cause? I'm really torn when people ask me this because in one sense, I'm like, okay, you're a GP has done years and years and years and spent so much money to be a GP and to be a doctor. And they're there because they want to help people. But when you see a 16 year old who's fainting in school from really heavy periods or has really bad acne and is getting bullied and won't go to school, they don't have any other, you know, anything else in their toolbox. All they have is the pill. So it's like the system is wrong. It's like, you can't blame the GPs because they want to help people and that's all they have to give people is the pill. Um, I just think there's not enough education around female hormones. Like I've had doctors message me being like, oh my God, I didn't realize that about PCOS or about whatever. So they're just trained. The training, I think, behind whatever they learn in hormones needs to be updated and they need to be more aware of it. So that if a girl comes in at 16 with extremely heavy periods, the first thing that I would do is I would make sure that she's ovulating. And it's really common for girls not to ovulate every single month up until about 18 like that when their reproductive system is developing. And when you don't ovulate, you don't make your, your hormone progesterone. And progesterone is so important because it makes your period lighter and it helps with period pain. So that's, that could be a really, really common um, or a really yeah, common reason as why someone's suffering with period pain or really heavy periods. And that can be looked into then instead of just giving the pill. So it's tricky because I'm like, thank God we have the pill for these poor girls, but also it's something or else they need to be more made aware of this is a short term solution and you will need to deal with this probably, you know, in a couple of years time and not give them kind of false hope either. I think that's the worst part. Yeah, I think what you've mentioned there towards the end was kind of like it, it like is kind of giving that kind of caveat that this isn't going to get to the root cause and saying this yeah. is just to kind of help you f- to get through until whatever time or at whatever year of your life or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, and I know from working with clients with a huge amount of like between endometriosis, PCOS and stuff like that, the nutritional information that's kind of passed to doctors it's not their fault as you said it potentially there's no it's no one's fault it's just the way the system is um that the nutritional side that i think they do only do like one or two modules on it i remember yeah. talking to a few clients of mine when i was doing face-to-face were doctors and i was kind of talking about nutrition stuff with them and they're like i never learned this and these were fully qualified doctors working in the hospitals and stuff like that and that that kind of flummoxed me but that could have been also my um innocence not knowing fully what the course entailed when you're a doctor and stuff like that but that's but that's a different kind of talk altogether but you've mentioned kind of like period pain um kind of pmt and stuff like that how do you have you got any tips or any little hidden gems for kind of dealing with kind of like the likes of pmt irregular periods and heavy and painful flow and stuff like that because more and more people are struggling with it and i think it, it, it really people do need kind of like a few tips to help with those and I think that's why I wanted to to kind of have a chat with you on that 
Yeah. So basically, in order to understand why your periods are heavy, why you're getting PMT and breakouts, and that kind of, you have to understand how your cycle works. Right? So I'm going to do a little quick biology uh, recap with <laughs> So basically what happens is, let's say you have a 28-day cycle. Day one, you get your period and everyone feels crap day one, right? Your mood is going to be lower. You might be a bit crampy. Your energy might not be great. And that's completely normal. It's because all your hormones drop. When your hormones drop, that causes to get the bleed, right? So after you get over day one, you feel so much better. And that's because your first hormone, which is estrogen, starts to kick in. And estrogen is always for growth. So those first two weeks, basically like your period grows. Estrogen is really important for your sex drive. It's really important for your energy, your mood. You're going to lift heavier. You're going to do better workouts the first few weeks of your cycle. And then around day 14, you ovulate. And once you ovulate, you make progesterone. And progesterone is like your mother nature calming hormone. I always say like your progesterone is your hormone where you don't mind staying in your own on a Friday night with a glass of wine, where your estrogen is right until six o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. Do you know that kind of way? It's your real, they're completely different. So progesterone also uh, makes your period lighter and helps with cramps, like I mentioned earlier. And basically, once those two hormones are balanced, you're absolutely laughing. Right now, unfortunately, this doesn't always work out. And we're always looking at progesterone deficiency. This is what causes your PMT and your heavy periods when progesterone is low, right? Now, the main reason why progesterone is low is due to stress, that our body will steal progesterone in order to make stress hormones. And as you know, and as I know, working with clients and even yourself, our generation runs on adrenaline the whole time. Yeah. Even good stress, even when life is normal, say last year, and you go up on a Saturday morning, you do your workout, you meet your friend for lunch, and you pop over to your mom and dad's, and you come home, you get ready for a night out, and you go out for dinner, and it's just busy, 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 busy the whole time. And even over exercising, like people kind of, we're so into health and fitness at the moment, but I'm like, you going for a 10K run like isn't always the best thing for your body. Your body does not know whether you're going for a run or I would say like, are you running from a bear? Do you know what I mean? It's the same kind of stress response. So anyway, the first reason why progesterone is low is due to stress. The second reason progesterone can be low is that estrogen is too high. Okay. And this is really, really important because the more estrogen you have in your body, the heavier your periods are going to be. Because remember I said estrogen is for growth. And you're also experiencing like more water retention, more swelling, sore boobs. So the synthetic form of estrogen, like I said earlier in the pill, causes that kind of water retention and swelling. Our, the, our own pill or our, our own estrogen does the exact same thing. Now, our body makes a certain amount, but estrogen is also found from our environment and from our food. And the first thing I look at for, for heavy periods and PMT is cow's milk. So too much cow's milk in the diet. And when I see clients saying like, I'm very aware that you're going to be having a period for the next 20 years give or take so I'm so not into like you know 8b transformation programs this kind of thing and I make that so clear when I see people that this is a long-term change so I don't expect them to never have you know milk with tea again or cut out their dairy milk or whatever but some people are having you know cereal in the morning with milk they're having tea or coffee three or four times a day they're having cheese for lunch they're having whey protein as a snack they're having chocolate that night for dinner and then they're having greek yogurt going to bed and it's literally going to diet every two or three hours and that can be a problem the other thing that increases estrogen is plastic. So using things like plastic bottles or plastic utensils for cooking or reheating uh, Tupperware. That's a big thing I see people like when they're meal prepping, they're, they're reheating plastic. And cleaning products, cosmetics. So all these things are called xenoestrogens and they come into the body and our body's like, okay, I don't really know what to do with these. So I'm just going to convert them into estrogen basically. And it's like you're adding to the pile then. And this is what then can cause your PMT, the imbalance of these two hormones. Does that make sense? <laughs> that makes an awful lot of sense. So like I would probably advise whoever's listening to this, probably re- recap or rewind for what Ashling has just said. Um, you mentioned dairy. And yeah. Is it more that danger is in the dose? 
that rather than cutting out dairy completely? It kind of depends on the person. So yes to 90% of people I'm like I don't expect you know the whole of Ireland listen to this whoever's listened to quit out dairy like that is not not good nutritional advice from my behalf but dairy if you're someone who's saying um suffered with loads of like ear nose throat infections as a child and then as you got older you started getting things like maybe eczema or psoriasis or hay fever and then you started getting your heavy periods or PMT those people I would like you've had a dairy intolerance since you've been a child and it's like as if you're lighting a fire. So I say to them, you could light a fire one match or a whole box of matches. It doesn't really matter how much you're kind of taking in. So certain people that I've seen over the years, they, they just do better on no dairy. But for general people who don't really have those real high inflammatory conditions, you know, it's just about reducing it down. And it might not be dairy at all. It could be that I see some girls and they're now, I'm a bit of a contradictory myself, but they could be covered in tan and they're wearing loads of perfume and loads of makeup and they love their body butters. And it's not got to do with the estrogen from the food. It's got to do with the toxins they're putting in through their environment and through their skin. Um, and the other thing that's really important to break down estrogen is digestion. So the biggest thing you will always see with, with heavy periods is constipation because it's like as if your body is is kind of trying to get rid of these hormones, but the way you get you get rid of them is basically poo them out. So if you're suffering with constipation, the chances of you metabolizing estrogen properly is very, very slim. And the last thing then is a poor diet. So you need your fiber and you need your leafy green veg. So your leafy greens, I say, are like the bus that comes along, picks up all these bad hormones and then drives them into the gut. So, I mean, I see some clients and they're like, yeah, I eat broccoli on Sundays with my Sunday roast. And I'm like, oh, okay, so your bus comes once a week, you know? So it's not enough just to have greens once a week. You need to be kind of getting them in at least every day, um, if not every second day. I really like that analogy of the bus. Um, yeah. I think I, I find it fascinating and this isn't me sitting on an ivory tower or anything like that. I find it fascinating that people struggle to get vegetables into their daily routine. Yeah. It, like as soon as you start to implement it, the bloating just reduces completely. Like and people are like, oh, this is so simple. It's like the most simple things are the bits that are going to get you to where you want to go. People are always looking for these, like, I don't know, waist trainers or something like that to kind of quick or for a quick fix or to, to solve something that's so simple of just kind of bringing a little bit more veg or a little bit more fiber into a routine or a little bit more water which is yeah. which is a big thing that a lot of people struggle with you've mentioned there yeah. about kind of like the the dairy and stuff like that are there because i know calcium is a massive massive thing for girls as well to hold on to kind of bone yeah. density is particularly when sarcopenia and osteoporosis all that kind of stuff kind of comes up and later it could come up in later life have you got any substitutes that you kind of implement with clients that are to kind of reduce the amount of dairy or test out their kind of their, their dosage to, so they don't have that kind of reaction? Yeah, so basically, I forgot to mention the really interesting thing about the cow's milk is that it's just cow's milk. Um, cow's milk contains thing called A1 casein protein, and that's the thing that's highly inflammatory. Whereas if you're eating sheep's milk or goat's milk or like buffalo milk, that's all A2 casein protein and it doesn't have the same response. So I often just, you know, say, look, don't have your cheddar cheese, but have your goat's cheese, your feta, your buffalo mozzarella instead, or you have your halloumi. And I can have some clients go into goat's milk yogurts and sheep's milk yogurt as well. There's a new one on the market and it's gorgeous called uh, Velvet Cloud. And it's really, really nice. And loads of my clients love that. Um, So you still can get dairy like from other options. It doesn't just not your cow's milk. And then um, your leafy greens is a good source. Tin fish is actually really good as well. So like if you like tin salmon, that's quite a good source of calcium. And sesame seeds are quite good. So I think in Ireland, because we're brought up, you know, you're not eating the table till you finish your glass of milk. Yeah. Like we're, we're all a bit obsessed with, with dairy 
in terms of calcium, but you can definitely get it from other sources as well. Um, so yeah, you look, and then if, if someone really doesn't like, you know, the, um, the sheep's milk or buffalo milk and they're not mad in their grains, I might just give them like a calcium supplement in a multivitamin kind of thing and just kind of keep an eye on their levels and make sure they're taking vitamin D. People are obsessed with calcium, but it's really your vitamin D you need there to absorb your calcium. Like it's all well and good taking calcium, but if you don't have vitamin D, it's not going to do much. So um, yeah, that's kind of the advice I give to clients. I'm not mad on soy just to say as well. So a lot of soy products will be fortified with calcium. Um, and I kind of just say have that in moderation that, that soy can often have the same effect of cow's milk on hormone health as well. So a lot, I say like don't go off cow's milk and then start using soy milk and soy yogurts instead. I would use everything kind of in moderation. Do you know the way that you can have your Greek yogurt one week and then get your soy yogurt the other week? It's just not in your diet every single day. That's just reduced. I, lo- I love that because it, it is literally about everything in moderation. Moderation seems to be unsexy, but extremes seem to be sexy <laughs> in the world of fitness and nutrition. So yeah, I don't know the, what you said there about soy was the next question that I had kind of lined up. So you've already, you've already ticked that. There's so much information there. And like vitamin D, particularly between kind of October and March, unfortunately in Ireland, I'm looking out the window now and there isn't a lot of sun. Um, so it is so, so important to make sure that people are taking vitamin D, uh, both male and female around now in particular. You've mentioned a few times kind of like the the, the, the acne. Um, and I think one of the big things that kind of comes up an awful lot for me anyway is kind of around the pill and can it cause acne? And is there any kind of like supplements or nutrition interventions that you implement with your clients uh, around kind of like trying to reduce the acne or anything like that? Um, can it cause acne? So a lot of the time the pill is actually an amazing treatment for acne. So most women like if you're someone who suffers with that real cystic like under the skin doesn't really come to a head like that real sore cystic acne basically that's usually testosterone that can drive that and there's two pills yasmin and dinette that people get put on this and their skin is phenomenal right but the way i describe it to clients i'm like do you know when you clean your room and you just try everything to your wardrobe you're like right my room is tidy but your wardrobes are in bits it's kind of like that analogy that yeah you're on the pill to kind of help testosterone but all you've done just affect it all in corner and when you come off the pill your, your skin is going to surge right and i see a lot of clients with like post pill acne so what can happen sometimes is that people come off a certain pill like yasmin or dinette they change pills because you're not meant to be on those for long term so if anyone listened to this and they're on that more than like a year you need to go back to your gp and, and have a little chat like but anyway so they might change onto something else and other pills don't stop acne and then their skin will flare up and they're kind of blaming it on the new pill well, we're actually, it could be due to post-pill surge from coming off the other pill. And then also diet. Acne is very, very similar to high estrogen as well. So I would look at cow's milk first. Now, cow's milk kind of gets the blame for acne all of the time. And I'm going to say, look, if dairy caused acne, then every single person who drank milk would have acne. So it's, it's got to do with your genetic makeup. It's like that, the A1 casing protein, what's your gut like? What's everything else like? So I wouldn't just take someone off and... Um, off dairy just because they've acne you know i'd look at all the other factors then as well um and then what was your question actually so basically post pill you're asking me to pill yes yeah, so basically i don't think it, it can cause acne but sometimes it can depending on what, what pill you've just come from basically does that make sense makes a lot of sense and i'm glad yeah. you brought up the dairy thing as well because that yeah. that that does get an awful an awful rep for acne and stuff like that and i probably when i was a teenager probably used the dairy excuse but then looked at the genetic factor at that looked through that family tree and stuff like that and that was the the underlying reason after looking at it in more detail um the big thing that i kind of try and work out with my clients particularly when i do the initial consultations 
And I will not give out sweeping advice to people when they're on DMs and stuff like that because it's just too easy to give out advice and people take up something or twist something the wrong way when they kind of asking questions about the cycle. But one of the big questions is, or one of the big things that I try to get girls to do because is to educate themselves one, but also to understand when to push and when to fuel themselves during training as a PT is super, super important. Do you t- how important is it for a girl to track their cycle? Because from experience, I don't think an awful lot of girls necessarily know when to push, when no to when no or know when to kind of push back on their training rather than trying to run themselves into the ground four weeks out of the month. Yeah, no, it's so important. Like I can say to my clients, we have like well the girl, yeah, obviously the girl clients, we have around the whole month. Whereas as females, like you can manipulate like that your your workouts you can manipulate what foods will suit you better that month you can you'll know kind of pre- 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 sorry preparation coming up okay I'm going to feel a little bit more anxious next week because I'm doing my period and then eat certain foods to help with that or take certain supplements to help with that so I think tracking your cycle is so 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 important and as well like down the line if you're someone who's hoping to get pregnant down the line like you've no idea the amount of clients to come to me and I'm like okay so are you ovulating and they're like oh I haven't a clue and these are people trying to get pregnant for a year and I'm like well how do you know when how do you know when you're meant to have sex and they're like oh we're just trying for the whole month and I'm like, if you have sex after ovulation, you might as well be having sex with a lamppost. Like, that is how likely you are. It's just not going to happen, right? And women just don't really realize that. So if you're familiar with this from, like, you know, a younger age and, you know, when you're ovulating, it's going to stand to you so much down, down the line when you're trying to get pregnant. Um, so, yeah, definitely tracking your cycle. And there's loads of, like, I love um, Flow is a really good app, or Eve is another one. And... Um, you'll see as well so if you have a random age just feel off and you're like what's wrong with me today and then you, you can check your app and be like oh I'm actually at my period tomorrow or sometimes you can experience a lot of bloating range when you're ovulating or a bit of constipation and these says Dave like am I ovulating today and you can look and be like oh yeah I'm ovulating today so I think it's kind of giving you so much power when you know your cycle um and yes yeah, like our, a little secret weapon that I don't have <laughs> the the, that was very poetic about having sex with a lamppost it was uh... yeah oh thank you thank you give me a good visual <laughs> It was, visual. <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful lucky lamppost um um the 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 it's so so important to know when to kind of push your training and stuff like that as well i think that is one of those things that when people kind of when you do the initial consultation and you kind of explain it and what's happening it's kind of like a penny drops and they're like why have i not known this for yeah. x amount of time and they're like these people are potentially like in their 30s and they've been training for mm-hmm. since they're like 16 17 18 and they have yeah. they, and they've had coaches before and you're kind of like why did they not know when they're meant to be kind of like this the subject matter experts or whatever it may be can you gonna yeah. go through when to kind of push your training when to pull back your training what trainings to avoid at certain times because you've mentioned the running and kind of like that's one of those things that people are like i'm going to go for a 10k all the time or 15k with all the time and then they they come back and they're absolutely knackered and they they wonder why and they're kind of like well here's ashing to explain (laughs) yeah so i kind of say to my clients like be really really aware of the days you're just a bit lazy and don't want to work out and the days you're absolutely knackered and you shouldn't work out that we all use exercise as a form of like helping with anxiety and with your mood and you're going to come back from work and you're going to have these endorphins flowing and you feel amazing and you're buzzing and you feel great 
but you have put stress on your body, whether like that you're doing a HIIT workout, you're on for a 10K run, or you're lifting weights in the gym. Every single time you're triggering cortisol. And the negative impact cortisol has, again, on stress or on your hormones is it's going to steal progesterone. So if you're someone who's having really, really bad PMT every month, just look at how much exercise you're doing. Make sure your recovery is, is good enough and look at things like your sleep and your food that at least you're fueling your workout so it's not putting as much stress on your body. Um, in terms of things like lifting weights, you're going to be stronger those first two weeks. So that estrogen phase, like just before you ovulate, your body's going to be so much more efficient about using carbs as fuel. Um, so you can kind of eat more carbs the first kind of two weeks. And your appetite is actually so much better. You'll find that your blood sugar balances are a lot better, that you're actually not even as hungry. You're not getting as much blood sugar dips. Um, once you ovulate, so the day around you ovulate, that's when you're going to be like superwoman. So if you're going to go for like PVs, do it around ovulation. And then the second half of your cycle, then I can say take a little, a little bit easier. Like don't be doing mad, really heavy, um, like weight, weight training sessions, like trying to increase your weight. Uh, things like even implementing like yoga or more rest days or Pilates or more stretching or, you know, strength and conditioning, that, that kind of thing. Like just a little bit slower pace the second half of your cycle. And basically from like a food perspective, as you come up nearer to your cycle or nearer to your period, your body is going to rely more on fats for fuel. So you'll find that you're starving the whole time. Like so many women will say to you, like, especially, yeah, you've probably heard it yourself, yeah. that like you just cannot be full come up to your period. And it's just because your body is, is not as good as using carbs. So I can get more fats into my clients' diets in the month of their cycle. And then your blood sugar levels will be much more balanced then as well. So you're not getting these dips. Um, so yeah, does that answer your question? That, that's an amazing yeah. answer and very short synopsis um yeah it, it, like it, uh, I, the big thing the big caveat is every single girl is different um because that's the biggest thing that i've definitely learned over the last few years is like it's definitely changed the the headspace around each different client and like i think clients are sometimes like i with kind of cravings and stuff like that it's one of those things that it it can be a crutch for some people um, men and female that's not just a sexist comment uh yeah. so i want to put that caveat out there it can be i think like do can do cravings go away are they temporary or are they kind of always on for a girl um no they definitely go away like i i don't know if this sounds real like you know me and my high horse but i always say like i'm an intuitive eater so i'll eat what i crave and that doesn't often work if you're eating chicken fit oils every day for lunch your body's gonna crave salt probably the whole time but when your diet's quite i hate the word clean but basically like balanced and um, if i'm craving something i'm like okay hold on why am i craving this kind of food and there's usually an underlying reason like your body is so so smart so like the big thing that women come up with their period is chocolate okay or it's sugar so the first thing with the sugar is if your blood sugars are all over the place come up to your cycle your blood sugar is going to drop much quicker. And the quickest way for your body to bring back up your blood sugar levels and give you energy is by eating something sweet. Um, in terms of then the chocolates, and some girls are absolutely mad for chocolate, chocolate's quite high in magnesium. And this is our proper like dark chocolate. And magnesium is amazing, not only for like your nervous system, so the help of things like anxiety and help with stress and sleep, but magnesium is one of the most important minerals for things like cramping, as you probably know from training. But that also links in as well with like period cramps. So if you have higher magnesium before you get your period, you're not going to have as much period pain coming up to your cycle. So I always say, like, try to take, take a step back and try and figure out why you're craving something that's usually um, a reason behind it. And because uh, there's two there's two different types of girls. There's the sweet girls and there's the savory girls. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you work with the, 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 the savory girls? 
yeah my my question my clients is what would you prefer a bag of chips or a bar of chocolate yeah. um and i from them so what we can see is i think people who run more on stress like who their adrenals are fried will go for the salt so that's kind of more like the chips or like you know you prefer your crisps over your dairy milk that kind of thing um and similar in, in those people then i use um I, I just focus on adrenal support now i use a lot of herbal medicine right so basically with my background my mom is actually a herbalist and we were brought up with herbal medicine and i'm so lucky that in our clinic we have like 300 different herbal tonics and i'm actually trying to be a herbalist at the moment hopefully be finished in august 2022 but um so i love herbal medicine and the certain ones that i would give for adrenal support um with certain clients and you'll see then as well their cravings really really go down and it's, it's the salt more than usually the carbs that they're going for if they're craving stuff like bread um I still would link that in like with sugar. It's still like, a, it, it's broken down into glucose. It's just like a, a simple sugar. It's the salt. It's more the salt, sweet and salty kind of uh, cravings that I would see with clients, like the crisps and um, your chocolate and stuff, or not chocolate crisps and chips, basically. Chocolate crisps will be good though. Um, it will be really good. Um, I think the other thing that like, the supplements around kind of the, the cycles and stuff like that, because there's an awful lot of information around these and people can get bogged down depending on the sources they're kind of looking for. And we've spoken about where to kind of get your information from already. Are there any kind of like your go-to to help with kind of like those cravings as a herbalist or trainee herbalist on your, on your mom and stuff like that as well? Are there anything like kind of like the Chasbury or Vitex or anything like that that you kind of recommend? Um, yeah, again, it'd be so personalized. A big one that I use with clients is ashwagandha, which you probably have heard of. Yeah. Um, ashwagandha is amazing for your that that stealing your progesterone. So basically, it protects your pituitary gland from stress. So it helps increase your progesterone in that sense. And it's also really, really good for hormone support then as well. Um, we also, the chase berry is really good coming up to the end of your cycle. And um, that also helps to increase progesterone. But then we've other really calming herbs. Like we use herbs called Skullcap or even one like passion flower. Passion flower is really, really good for like mental anxiety. So like one of my questions would be like, do you go to sleep at night and your brain's gone hundred miles an hour as your head hits the pillow? And some people are like, oh my God, yeah. Or like night palpitations. So people are going to bed and their heart is racing as they're trying to fall asleep. And passion flower would be very good for those. Um, so we do blends like the way our herbs work is we don't we rarely give one herb on its own like we do personalized tinctures so for example like in one bottle we might put herbs in it for stress for pmt for heavy periods for acne for headaches for low mood for dry skin let's just say and it could be 30 different herbs in one bottle that's exactly personalized for you it's like you and you in a bottle we probably haven't made that that tincture up for anybody else so herbs work really really well together as well so like like that your ashwagandha which is really calming sometimes can be great with like that your skull cap which is really good also for like mental stress you know the way so you're helping protect your body from stealing stress and then you're also increasing stress or you're increasing kind of calming hormones then as well that makes sense yeah that makes an awful lot of sense yeah. Yeah. it's yeah. like a cocktail but just herbal exactly it's like a cocktail it's like a personalized cocktail for exactly what you need exactly um, how do you work with your clients on the stress? Because that is a massive thing. Like obviously the, the barriers are, are very, very blurred at the minute with what's going on. People are working from home. They've got kids running into walls. How do you kind of work with your clients and stress? Because obviously stress can be a massive aggravator for kind of cravings and PMT and stuff like that. Yeah. The biggest thing I always say is control what you can control. So we can control our sleep. 
we can control our food and we can control our exercise. So the first one, like say like your, your food, for example, the main thing I look at clients with clients is to make sure your blood sugars aren't dropping throughout the day. And this is a huge issue I'm seeing with people at the moment working from home that you're working away and you're like, Jesus, it's half three, I haven't had lunch. And the reason why you, you know we haven't had lunch is that your body's screaming at you like, please go eat something. And you're literally like a hungry monster. And what actually has happened there is your, your cortisol has been triggered, your stress hormones get released. And as you know, like I've mentioned before, stress is going to use up your progesterone. So if this is happening three or four times in one day, of course, you're going to feel more anxious and, or, you know, of course, your PMT is going to be worse because you've used up so much progesterone on your blood sugar dips. So that's the first thing that makes sure your blood sugars are balanced. And really the, the two little simple tips would be eat little and often. So don't let yourself get hungry and then make sure you're eating protein with all of your meals. That'll keep your blood sugar levels much more balanced. And the other thing I do is supplements. And I am like, thank God we have supplements that the way we live our lives now we're not built for the amount of stress that we put on ourselves. And this is some things people kind of say to me, oh, like you shouldn't need to take supplements. And I'm like, yeah, but we also shouldn't be, be running on the amount of adrenaline that we're running on. So it's an amazing, and thank God we have something there to support our system. So like your B vitamins would be really good for stress and magnesium going to bed would be great. And um, what else would I give for stress? I make sure that their vitamin D levels are good because indirectly that will help with mood. And obviously if your mood is better, you're going to deal with stress a bit better. And then herbs as well. But my two go-to definitely would be magnesium and your B vitamins, a really good B complex. I think that's great advice. And I think like if you can, the one thing I try to work with my clients an awful lot is trying to stay off technology. Obviously, if you're having like a, a chill night and watching Netflix, that's okay. But I would try to keep it out of your room. Because if you're if yeah. you're, if your sleep isn't going to be amazing, it's gonna it can then regulate your 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 can affect your hunger hormones and stuff like that and that's when you're going to be reaching for those more carbohydrate more sugary foods and those foods are not bad i always have to say that on a podcast because i know someone will latch onto it um yeah. but like it like it is trying to like the basics are like everyone's kind of looking for these quick fixes it is gonna it is the unsexy stuff that is gonna work mm-hmm. The last question, I know I didn't send this over to you, so I'm going to catch you off on the, on the, <laughs> in relation to intermittent fasting, right? Yeah. Should girls do intermittent fasting? Um, it completely depends on the person, on your job, on your hormones. Like if you're a nurse, I would say no don't be doing intermittent fasting. Do you know what I mean? Like you need your energy running around like a mad thing all day. If you're working from home at the moment, you're getting up and you know, you're not really moving, you're sitting at a desk all day. Those women might be a bit better. It's also like, what are your goals? I think intermittent fasting has this, it's almost like up on this big pedestal. It's amazing for fat loss. But as you and I know, the only reason it's good for fat loss is that you're cutting calories by not eating in the morning. Um, and then, you know, people can't fit in as much food for the rest of the day because they're full. Um, so it depends on the person. My only issue with intermittent fasting, again, is that stress response. Like I see some clients and they're going to do like inverted commas, intermittent fasting, but, but just drinking coffee all morning yeah. and all they're doing, I'm like, you're suppressing your appetite. But if you weren't having that coffee, your body would probably be absolutely starving. And even though you don't feel hungry, your body is under so much stress. So from a fertility perspective, like I see again, a lot of clients and um, trying to get pregnant and I'm like, you need to go up and have breakfast. Like there's, there's no, you definitely can't be intermittent fasting. You don't want to trigger any extra stress on the body. So again, it kind of, you know, depends on the person. I do find intermittent fasting very good for clients with PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian very syndrome. Good. And the biggest reason is that insulin resistance is a massive, massive root cause for PCOS. So for then people, 
fasting actually is actually quite beneficial because it gives your body kind of a chance to like reset almost and from a weight loss perspective it can be really really beneficial then as well um but yeah again it's very individual based i think you know that's the big thing about nutrition that if one size fits all it'd be so easy everyone just follow the same thing but that's why like what worked for your mate across the road isn't going to work for you and that's why people get a bit bogged down sometimes you know you have to figure it out yourself um so yeah what have you found with intermittent fasting with your clients PCOS has been uh, has been a game changer for a lot of them with the with the girls with PCOS. I find that if someone has struggled with so called emotional eating, I would not implement an intermittent fasting routine in with them because if they're going to be kind of like very very hungry in the mornings i would rather try get them to have regular meals because if they're not having regular meals there's nothing to do with their metabolism going up and down which people think it's more about like if you're not eating throughout the day and then you come to say six o'clock you're going to eat the press yeah. uh, it's about setting that routine for yourself you're better off having smaller meals or three main meals and a couple of snacks throughout the day and it's not like at six o'clock uh, carbs are okay 601 carbs are bad for you it's not kind of any of that kind of stuff that's put out there it's just trying to eat little and often just kind of to kind of keep as you've said um about kind of keeping those blood sugars level and steady and stuff like that and trying to leave the chocolate in every day i value my life too much as a coach to take chocolate away from my girls I, yeah. I just won't do it um and it's particularly if they want to have crisps you have the crisp but just potentially don't necessarily go and buy the multi-pack go and buy yeah. say, one pack and if you want to go down to the shop potentially implement that and what bring in your walking routine to go down to the shop. If you've got a dog, bring them de- bring the dog down to the shop or whatever it may be. But if you want to have that extra pack of crisps or whatever it may be, go down and walk or else drive down. It's just kind of like setting what you can and control. As if you're if you're working in your kitchen, you're kind of looking around yourself all the time, uh, having the yeah. kitchen laid out for you, having the, like the fruit and stuff like that out in the out on the the press out in the the shelves and stuff like that and if you have kind of the likes of the chocolate and stuff and you're working in the kitchen potentially put it at the back of the press or else have like if you are counting calories when you are counting your calories potentially have it spent at the beginning of the day so you know you that's that's in your allowance if that makes any sense but it's about trying to leave the foods in that that you really want like intermittent fasting is a tool is a benefit it's just windowed eating it's just shortening your window of eating there's nothing if it works for you, amazing. But if you're struggling to kind of like control the appetite, would I recommend it? Probably not. Um, would you yeah. recommend fasted training for girls? Because this is one of those things that kind of comes in an awful lot with with clients in particular. And there's a lot. There's a there's a lot of different opinions on it um, regarding kind of fasted training for girls. Um, again, it depends on the person. Do you know what I mean? Some people get up and they need to eat first thing in the morning. I, I actually train fasted and that works really, really well for me. I, I can barely eat a banana and train in the morning like when life is normal. I normally get up about like seven and go to the gym and come back and then have breakfast. Um, but I'm also really aware of my nutrition. Like, you know, I wouldn't, if I'm going to do, if I'm getting up in the morning to go to the gym, I make sure I'm eating kind of, you know, high carb meal going to bed and I'm kind of feeling my muscles. So I think you need, number one, the education behind it that you're not actually waking up literally on empty and trying to work out. If you're someone who kind of suffers with like low blood pressure, low blood sugars, it might not be good to, to wake up and, and try and exercise on an empty stomach. From a fat loss perspective, I don't think it makes any difference as far as I'm aware. You might correct me there, but as far as I'm aware, like, you know, if you're eating food or not, you're, you're going to burn the same amount of fat. It's not like this magic thing. I remember years ago before I even qualified, I was doing the whole coconut oil in, in, the, in the coffee. <laughs> 
bulletproof coffee because I was like yeah I like your body like will won't burn and um, will just burn fat like me just like I don't know absolutely mental obviously like found on social media or something so um yeah I think it kind of depends on on the person you know the other thing I'll say just as you were chatting earlier on my line that I always say the clients in terms of like keeping the nice foods in the like I'm always like some foods are good for your soul they're like soul foods so like your coffee and your chocolate and you know your bag of chips weekends and I mean they're things that keep you happy and happiness is the most important thing you know on a day-to-day that's what we're always striving for and I'm like if you love having like your you know your cup of tea and your jammies and your bit of chocolate you know in the even times watching Netflix and you're looking forward to it all day like that's obviously you have to keep that in but it's the chocolate that you eat when you come into the kitchen and you're making lunch and you're just starving your hands are shaking and you eat three biscuits and then you're like did I even eat those like what like and you didn't even want them you just ate them because you just needed something quick that's the difference I think sometimes with food or like at the board meeting where you're like to, oh, where, are all, where are all these wrappers come from did I eat all that, all that food and you haven't really thought about it it's like the mind is eating but I'm, I'm literally exactly the same page as you is keeping the foods you enjoy so you can keep it up long term that's what we want clients to be able to do yeah exactly and like I, I, I know it kind of a lot of coaches out there I know I do transformations and stuff like that but I try to look at it from a holistic point of view of kind of trying to work with them on the sleep all that kind of stuff and I think as we've kind of about training fast and stuff like there is like there's no added benefit to training fasted. It's literally personal preference if you wish to do it. I know in the afternoons, my energy levels aren't amazing. So I know I will perform better either midday or either first thing in the morning, depending on my schedule and my routine. And it's about kind of understanding. I, I, I know from working with a lot of the girls and stuff like that, there, I remember doing the face-to-face PT and you, if you had like a half five in the morning slot, you'd get the face of like, I ain't doing a half five AM slot. So it, it is down to personal preference. Like, as you said, it's about kind of educating yourself about if I am training fast in the morning, I want to make sure that I might have a little bit more carbohydrates the night before to kind of have that little that that energy levels in there or else have something small like maybe even like the smallest bit of of peanut butter just to get something into your body to make sure that you're fueling your 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 um your body on that side of things ashing there's so much information on that podcast like i cannot thank you enough for the amount of information and i know i'll be listening back to it and i know there's so many segments of that that when people will have to listen back and rewind and there's there's so much in there ashing where can people find out about yourself where can people find out about the clinic where can people when the clinic is back open doing face-to-face can can they work with you online and face-to-face yeah, so my website is aokenutrition.com and my Instagram's good as I, I, I'm a bit used to saying posting all the time just when the clinic is so busy, Instagram gets neglected. <laughs> but I do have loads of highlights saved on like different topics like your PCOS and your acne and irregular periods. And so I'd sit down, make a cup of tea and just go through those and you can then rewatch them and just kind of educate yourself. That's the biggest thing. Like when you even asked me to come on today, my goal is just to educate as much people as I can. So I'm like, saying yes to anything and everything just so I can kind of reach more people and people can start asking questions and you know make changes just for to better themselves basically so thank you so much I'd lovely chat and literally could talk about this all day <laughs> yeah sometimes it's hard to condense the podcast into yeah. whenever, however long it has been but uh, Ashing, I cannot thank you enough, guys. If you've enjoyed the episode, please do tag the two of us up on your story, leave a review up on iTunes. And Ashing, thank you so much for coming on. No problem. Thank you for having me.